Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to Claret and Blue, the Aston Villa podcast from Birmingham Live. My name is Matt Davis and I'm filling in for Dan Robinson, who's off uh, today. So I'm joined by football editor Matt Kendrick uh, to talk about the sad news of today, the passing of Gerard Houllier at the age of 73. Obviously not what something we want to talk about, but we'll discuss his life over the next 15 minutes or so, specifically his time at Villa. Matt, I mean, um, you, you were covering Villa day to day back then. What can you tell us about um, Gerard Houllier as Villa manager? Yeah, it's really, really, really sad news. Um, we used to re- refer to him as kind of Uncle Gerard. He was like this kind of warm, <laughs> warm, warm, older, older guy who, you know, it, it's an interesting one because benefit of hindsight, obviously, it, we, we can all kind of look back on things with rose-tinted specs, but I genuinely do believe that, that his time at Villa was too short. Um, perhaps wasn't the most popular of characters with some of the senior pros in the dressing room uh, when he came in because he wanted to come in and really kind of up what Villa were in terms of the professionalism, and that's not meant to be a slight on, on Martin O'Neill and, and, and his regime because we all know how well did a, Villa did under O'Neill, but O'Neill had a kind of more relaxed approach where as long as his, his 12 or 13 players were, were turning up and doing the business, then, you know, they could, could have long, long weeks off and then report back to do a bit of shape for the next game. Julier kind of wanted to, to, to smash straight through that and say, no, you know, we want double training sessions. We want to be the fittest team. You know, we want to want to really kind of work hard on, our, on on knowing the opposition and, you know, just the kind of levels of preparation that we've probably seen from, you know, maybe not quite Bielsa-like, but the, the levels of, of kind of detail that, that weren't at Villa prior to that. And I think some of the players... You know, if you listen to Gabby Ogbonla or give interviews about, about Gerald Hulia, I think he likened him to a, a kind of headmaster, a really strict um, kind of, you know, taskmaster, I suppose. And yeah, it didn't play out play out that well with some of the people back there. You've got kind of some, some kind of old school players, shall we say, in the likes of Richard Dunn and, and James Collins, who were, were quite happy with the, the way it had been previously. Uh, but having said that, the... There were there were signs there, you know. It, it wasn't a it wasn't a brilliant vintage season for for Villa by, by any means, 2010-11. But somehow, by hook or by crook, uh, given the disruption that was caused at the start of that season, the delay over getting Julio appointed, and then subsequently Julio being taken seriously ill again in the April, I think it was. Villa finished ninth, and that wasn't bad going when we look back on 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 what happened over the last over the subsequent ten years. So. Yeah, I really, really fond memories of, of Gerard Houllier and just kind of a, a lot of what ifs if he'd have been out, you know, if his health would have enabled him to stay in charge a little while longer and, and to put in place the revolution that he was trying to trying to bring. A lot of people said a lot of nice words about him today. Um, he sounds like a, a good guy. I mean, what, what were your experiences, experiences of him as a person if you got too many encounters with him at that time? Obviously, it wasn't that long a period, but did you know him fairly well by the end? 
Yeah, I think so. I think, um, and again, people who, who know me and some of the some of the spats I've got into with various Villa managers probably won't be surprised to know um, when I say Gerard was the the best kind of manager reporter working relationship that I got during my time covering Villa. Uh, that there weren't too many other <laughs> too many other contenders to rival it. I remember uh, I've just been just been putting together a, a, a kind of comment uh, opinion piece about about. About Gerard, so a few spoilers in this because I'll, I'll, I'll refer to all this in, in that piece as well. One of my enduring memories of Julia came a couple of days after Villa had gone, they'd gone to Anfield and been battered three nil. Um, and Julia, you know, Villa fans, I'm not sure if Villa fans will have forgiven him for this even now, but Julia, it was his first trip back, you know, first competitive trip back to Anfield um, since leaving there. And he comes down, walks down, the, comes out the tunnel, walks down the track and starts applauding the cop and just completely ignores the Villa fans, the, the, the Villa away fans. And not only that, Villa got battered 3-0 that night, were pretty terrible. Um, and after the match, he comes out and says, well, if we could have lost to anybody, I prefer it to be Liverpool. And you think, well, Villa fans didn't really want to hear that. But um, knowing what it was like a couple of days later, I was invited to Bodymore for um, you know an interview with him, and um, so I've just written all this. And it's fresh in mind, but my nephew, uh, despite being a Brummie, is is a Liverpool fan. Boo! Um, so I'd already got a couple of bags of these kind of Liverpool branded bonbons to, to chuck his way for Christmas, and I turned up at turned up at Bodymore with a bag of these for for Julia. And uh, he kind of glared at me at first and then kind of gave me this mischievous smile and then gave me this little kind of friendly punch in the guts uh, as if to say, you know, you kind of, you git or whatever, or whatever, whatever the French equivalent is. But he was always, always got that kind of warmth about him. I remember another occasion, I'd been to, to New Zealand with my, my family in, to, in January, February time, 2000, must be February, I think, 2011. And for some reason, I came back and I developed shingles. I think you're supposed to get shingles when you're stressed, not when you've had a three three week holiday on the side of the world. Um, but so I think I missed a couple of press conferences and a game or a couple of games or something. And um, he took he took time to pick up the phone and kind of ask how I was and how my trip had been, how the family were. Um, you know, just it, it, it might sound really minor, but you know, sometimes sometimes football managers are, are so ingrained in their own kind of tunnel vision and their own lives and their own professional lives that, that, that to take time to, to even do that was was a nice touch. Also, there was a, a situation with him where he invited all the press for a meal. Um, Villa used to have a, a restaurant um, in one of the hospitality lounges and invited us there for, you know, probably a dozen of us and kind of, you know, wined and dined us at his expense or, or the club's expense. But before he went there, he made sure, found out little bits about all of us. So he got some kind of dinner table conversation and it was, it, it's minor things, it's minor things. And football fans rightly will care more about what the, what the manager does with a team on the pitch uh, than how nice or otherwise he is to, to, to the local press back. But it's just things like that that, that stick, close, stick closely in your mind, really. You talked about the decline that followed, you know, in the in the years after that. I mean, should Julier's reputation be re- rehabilitated a bit amongst Villa fans for the job he actually did? Because, you know, things did go quite wrong after that. I think it was probably the time that Randy Lerner properly fell out of love with Villa. You know, let's not forget that Julio was given 18 million, I think 18 million, rising to 24 million quid to spend on Darren Bent 
Um, now, whether Randy Lerner would have loosened the purse strings for that if Villa weren't kind of under threat of relegation um, around that time, I'm not sure. But I think when Julio left and when, you know, Villa, Villa, Villa not, not only stayed up, but managed to stay up and finish ninth that season. And Gary McAllister, Julio's assistant, did a really good job of kind of steadying the ship in difficult circumstances and, and keeping Villa competitive. Um, but I think... I think it was still, I think Villa fans, probably myself included, probably thought that Villa were still contenders, were still competitive enough to push for Europe that season. They finished in Europe three times in a row, three successive sixth place finishes under Martin O'Neill. So probably, yeah, over time, I think probably will people will appreciate the job that, that, that Julier did. Uh, I think perhaps one of his mistakes was trying to bring about kind of revolution rather than evolution, if you like. O'Neill had got a well-drilled dressing room who who knew what they wanted to do. Julio came straight in and said, regardless of what you've been doing done previously, we're doing it, doing it my way. Did that work? I'm not sure. Would it have worked over time? I think it probably would because I think he would have brought really, really good habits into that place. You look at some of the some of the kids in that dressing room, uh, Michael Brighton hasn't got a bad word to, to say about Julio. Really, really pleased with how he brought him along and how he, how he prompted his development. Barry Bannon, likewise. Um, I think Julio <laughs> compared him to, to Xavi, I think, um, which was quite a quite hard act to live up to. But, I mean, I've just, just saying that out loud reminds me of that game against Manchester United when, when Villa were flying. They've got about five or six or seven youth teamers playing. Eric Lehigh, Michael Brighton, Barry Bannon, Jonathan Hogg. Um and we look it looked I think um I can't remember what we call I think I've come up with some some crap name, the equivalent of Fergie's fledglings. I can't remember what it was, but it was I mean Gerald's juniors or something something particularly corny like that. But back then we thought, Crikey, is this the future? I mean Villa subsequently blew that and, and drew two all in that game, but it gave us a really, really good glimpse of, of, of what could be. Never happened. It never happened. Julio was taken ill. Um another heart attack in April time, I think it was. After that it was um it was the, the McLeish McLeish debacle then a couple of years of, of Lambert and it's been a it's been a, a rebuilding act ever since now. If Villa could finish ninth or above this season, I think it would be a, a wonderful tribute to to Julio because nobody's achieved it since. Just lastly, then, do you think maybe when you look at what he did at Liverpool and the job he's done in France with young players there, maybe he was the right manager, just the wrong time at Villa. Succeeding O'Neill was always going to be a, a tough ask for the way he wanted to do it. I think probably so. Yeah, I think um, it, this sounds really ridiculous for a man who was sixty three years old when he joined Villa and already probably had his best glory days behind him, but he's probably a little bit ahead of his time at Villa in a strange way. I don't think don't think the Villa squad that he inherited were were quite ready for him. Um I mean let's not forget that that the the time in a manner of O'Neill's departure already put Villa at a disadvantage that's that season. They were already playing catch up. Then I think there was a little bit of a delay extricating um Julio from his commitments with the French FA. Um so I think, yeah, I think I think Julio rocking up at Villa in a different time uh, with his health, you know, a, a lot more kind of stable than it was, could have been a, a really good thing. I'm still pleased that, that you know, that that Villa had the privilege of him being their manager. Uh, you know, people can probably probably see that I've got a great deal of fondness for him, so perhaps I'm seeing it a little bit too sentimentally, um, especially given given how, how upsetting today's news is. 
Um, but yeah, I just I remember, I mean, I've kept in semi, semi-regular contact with him um, since he's left. You know, I pick up the phone probably a couple of times a year to you know, get, his, get his opinion on, on, on what's happening at Villa um, and text, text him occasionally. But I think my last face-to-face meeting with, with him with him would have been back at Villa Park um, back in 2011 when he, I think by sheer coincidence, he was back at Villa Park saying his farewell, taking photos in the stadium, you know, giving his handshakes to, to the staff at Villa Park a, a day when, when I was playing in a sponsors game, Villa Park. And uh, I remember just bumping into him in, in the tunnel at the end. Um, I think he said something like, you know, kind of, I'm giving up my day job, but you don't, don't give up your day job or something. So whether we witnessed five minutes of me dragging my, my, my fat backside around the Villa Park pitch, I don't know. But handshake, a hug, and it was just a just a nice farewell. Um, the only other one, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but the only other, other one thing that I wanted to note, and again, I note this in this kind of little mini obituary kind of comment piece, is... Uh, I remember that January 2011, obviously Villa pulled off the, the Darren Bent deal. I think they signed Jean McCoon and I think they signed um, Carl Walker on, on loan as well. Um, but they were, they were, there was quite a strong pursuit of Charlie Adam from Blackpool that time. And uh, Ian Holloway, um, I think Ian Holloway obviously wanted to keep Charlie Adam or drive his price up as Blackpool manager. I think he he, he he was really insulting about Villa. I think he, he accused Villa of being a half-arsed club or something with a manager on a sticky wicket. I know Julio was pretty upset and pretty offended about that. So, never want to miss a trick. When Villa played Blackpool away the following month in early February, I remember saying to Holloway at the end of the game, I said, oh, have you apologised to Gerard Julio for the, um, you know, for, for the things you said? And Holloway got the hump and said, what do you mean? What do you mean what I said? I said, well, you know, about manager on a sticky wicket, Villa being a half-arsed club. I said, I know, I know it upset Julio quite a lot. And he said, well, you know, oh, you know that, do you? You, you know, you, I said, yeah, he told me. He said, well, is he a friend of yours? And I actually said, yeah, I think he is actually. <laughs> I think he is a friend of mine. Probably wouldn't have said that about another football manager. But that's what I do regard him as. You know, I'm not saying we're best buddies who go go drinking red wine together or whatever. But he was a, a very warm character, a very capable manager, a very bright, shrewd tactician. And I think he probably nailed it, Matt, by saying, you know, right man at the at, at the wrong time. But uh, I'm privileged that, that I've met him. Um, I felt, found him to be a really, really lovely fella. Obviously, our thoughts and sympathies are, are with his family and his close friends at, at the moment. But I think football's lost a, a great guy, a great ambassador and a great mind. So um, rest in peace, Gerard. Thank, thanks for the, for the memories. I'm sorry it was so brief. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa.